Okay, good evening to our fellow believers in the Chief Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Bible History Project. Before we proceed, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Almighty and loving Father, yes. again we worship and glorify you. Amen. Thank you for bringing us together to be able to study your holy words once more. Bless us with enlightened minds, O God. Feed our souls and our spirits with your holy words and commandments. Amen. May you please forgive completely all our sins, yes. and may your spirit be upon each and every one of us. Amen. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. Yes. We ask everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, all right. Praises be to God. We're gathered once again to study the teachings of our Father and also to discover some of the historical elements of God's people in the past because we believe there's something that we can learn from God's dealings with his people from a long, long time ago. So we left off with Jacob on the run, right? He was running away from his brother and he's onwards to the north, to Haran, to look for his spouse. And so we're going to discover today how the people of Israel was born. Okay, so let's begin with Genesis 29, 1 down to 3. Then Jacob hurried on, finally, finally arriving in the land of the east. He saw a well in the distance. Three flocks of sheep and goats lay in an open field beside it, waiting to be watered. But a heavy stone covered the mouth of the well. It was the custom there to wait for all the flocks to arrive, before removing the stone and watering the animals. Afterward, the stone would be placed back over the mouth of the well. And so when Jacob finally arrives to the place where he intended to go, which is somewhere in Haran, what did he see? He saw a well. The well was very important during biblical times because that's where you get water. And during that time, usually your job, you were a, a farmer, right? And so you had large flocks, and flocks need water, human beings need water. And so to protect the water in the well, they had to cover it with a large stone. And so from a distance, what does Jacob see? He sees a well, and he sees three flocks of sheep and goat. I wonder to whom the three flocks of sheep and goats belong to. We got to find out. Let's read verse 4, 29, 4 down to 6. Jacob went over to the shepherds and asked, Where are you from, my friends? We are from Haran. They answered, Do you know a man there named Laban, the grandson of Nahor? He asked, Yes, we do. They replied, Is he doing well? Jacob asked, Yes, he's well. They answered, Look, here comes his daughter Rachel with the flock now, and so when Jacob interviews the shepherds, what question does he ask? Where are you from? What do they say? We're from Haran. So far, so good, right? Okay, do you know someone by the name of Laban? Do you remember who Laban was? Who was Laban? The brother, if you remember. Uh, the brother of huh? the mother. The brother of the mother, the brother of Rebecca, Rebecca right? So here's Lab, uh, asking about Laban, and guess what? They say, we know Laban. As a matter of fact, the flock belongs to Laban. And Laban's daughter, what's her name? Rachel. Rachel is with the flock now. And so we believe God orchestrated this. I mean, what are the chances 
that his very first stop, he gets to meet, all of a sudden, Laban and the flock that belongs to him. Believe, if we pray to God, God orchestrates events so we meet the right people at the right time. We don't believe in chance encounters. We believe God has a purpose for every person that we come into contact with. And so when uh, they have the conversation, what does jo uh, Jacob suggest? 29, 7 to 8, Jacob said, look, it's still broad daylight, uh, too early to round up the animals. Why don't you water the sheep and goats so they, can't get back, so they can get back out to pasture? We can't water the animals until all the flocks have arrived, they replied. Then the shepherds moved the stone from the mouth of the well, and we water all the sheep and goats. Apparently, the stone that's on the top of the well was pretty heavy, right? Because it requires shepherds, not just one. Perhaps two or three shepherds to remove the stone from the well. And so as they were having a conversation, guess who shows up? Any guessers? Let's read 9 to 10. Jacob was still talking with them when Rachel arrived with her father's flock, for she was a shepherd. And because Rachel was his cousin, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and because the sheep and goats belonged to his uncle Laban, Jacob went over to the well and moved the stone from its mouth and watered his uncle's flock. You know what I think he's doing? He's showing off, <laughs> right? Showing his muscles. Okay? All by himself, he removed that rock. He removed that stone. I think it was love at first sight. You know, sometimes when you see someone that you like, you want to show off, you have that adrenaline, right? That's why, that's why I think he was able to do that. And not only that, what does he do right afterwards? Maybe I should not read this, but I will. No, 29, 11, and 12. Then Jacob, what does he do? <laughs> oh, he's a fast operator. <laughs> then Jacob kissed Rachel, and he wept aloud. He explained to Rachel that he was her first, her cousin on her father's side, the son of her aunt Rebecca. So Rachel quickly ran and told her father Laban. And so she was excited because after all, what are the chances of encountering family out there in the field? And so this was a happy moment both for uh, Rachel and also for, and especially for who? Jacob. And so when uh, Rachel tells her father about what happened, what was his feeling? Let's read Genesis 29, 13 and 14. As soon as Laban heard that his nephew Jacob had arrived, he ran out to meet him. He embraced and kissed him and brought him home. When Jacob had told him his story, Laban exclaimed, you really are my own flesh and blood. And so Laban was pretty excited. One reason why I think he's excited is because he is another source of help, right? Laban is a, a businessman. He has a flock after all. And so he sees a hired hand probably in his own relative, his own nephew. And so what happens next? Genesis 29, 14 down to 15. After Jacob had stayed with Laban for about a month, Laban said to him, you shouldn't work for me without pay just because we are relatives. Tell me how much your wages should be. And so here's Laban. He gets a chance to observe Jacob for how long? 
for about a month. And when you observe someone for about a month, you kind of are able to assess the kind of worker he is. Jacob, he was an industrious person. And so Laban loved him. And so he wants to keep him. And to keep him, what does he suggest? You know what? You need to be paid. <laughs> That's one way of keeping him. Maybe sign a contract so that he can stay and work for me. However, Laban was more cunning than that. He actually had other resources. What did he also notice about Jacob? What does he also have? Genesis 29, 16 and 17. Now Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah. And the younger one was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. But Rachel, check this out, had a beautiful figure <laughs> and a lovely face. In other words, she was a knockout, right? Leah, she was just so-so, average. There was no sparkle in her eyes. In other words, she had weak eyes. She didn't really stand out. But Rachel, she stood out. She was gorgeous. And so what do you think Laban noticed about the behavior of Jacob? Every time he was near Rachel, his heartbeat begins to go up. <laughs> and so he notices, hmm, I think he's in love with one of my daughters. And so what does he suggest? Genesis 29, 18 to 19 says Jacob was in love with who? Rachel. He told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. What did Laban say? Agreed, Laban replied. I'd rather give her to you than to anyone else. Stay and work with me. So mission accomplished. Laban knew that Jacob didn't really have much when it comes to material wealth. He was running away, after all, from his brother Esau, right? So he really had nothing. And the only way for him to be able to give the dowry, to be able to give what is due to the parents, he had to work for it. And so this is what he does. He wants to work for her for how long? Seven years. Raise your hand. The brothers who are here. How many of you are willing to work for someone for seven years? She must have been really beautiful, right? I mean, to endure hard labor underneath that hot sun for seven years just to get that person to be your wife, you must really be in love. Now, the next statement is one of the most romantic statements in the whole Bible. You want to read it? Genesis 28, verse 20. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. Isn't that romantic? The seven years went by because she was so, he was so madly in love with Rachel. So it went by really fast. And so now it's time for the wedding. Genesis 29, 21 to 22. Finally, there, uh, the time came for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can marry her. Seven years. It's a long time. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. To consummate the wedding, what do you need to do? You have to have a physical relationship, right? That's how you kind of uh, complete 
the marriage. And so at night, Genesis 29, 23, 24, but that night, when it was dark, okay, Laban took who? Leah. Not Rachel. <laughs> Laban, the sneaky guy. Laban took Leah to Jacob and he slept with her. Laban had Leah, had given Leah a servant, Zilpah, to be her maid. So secretly, Laban marries Leah to Jacob, not Rachel. Not only that, Laban gives her daughter a wedding gift. What is that? A servant by the name of Zilpah. And so at night, Jacob and Leah, they hit it off. They consummate the wedding. And so their husband and wife, what happens in the morning? <laughs> Next slide, Genesis 29 verse 25, when morning came, <laughs> he opened his eyes and lo and behold, there was Leah. <laughs> Right? Who was he expecting? Rachel. Rachel. But when he opened his eyes, there was no Rachel. There was Leah. So he runs out of his tent, I presume, angry. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Ah. <laughs> the deceiver gets deceived. deceived. You know, it's true. What you reap is what you plant. And what you sow is what you reap. You know, God is fair, right? God is a just God. Yes, God will forgive you. But you always pay for the consequences. You always have to experience the consequences of your sin. So here was Jacob. Remember, Jacob, he deceived his father. Now, he's being deceived by his father-in-law. Right? Jacob deceived his father, and he was able to do that because he was getting blind. And so he too was deceived in darkness, where your eyesight doesn't matter. Right? He deceived um, Isaac by disguising himself. And so here's Leah, and I'm pretty sure he probably told Leah, wear Rachel's clothing <laughs> and cover yourself with a veil, which is customary because it was a wedding after all. Right? And so he was dark, he was probably a little drunk, he didn't notice what was going on, and so they slept together, and so the marriage was consummated. And so he was deceived, right? And so he's upset, he's upset, because after he, he worked seven years to get Rachel. And so he goes to Laban, why have you deceived me? What was the answer of Laban? He has a pretty good excuse. <laughs> what does he say? Genesis 29, 26 to 27. It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn. Laban replied, but wait. Until the bridal week is over, the bridal week is basically the honeymoon. It was a custom during that time when two people get married. Seven weeks, they live like king and queens. It was their honeymoon. You don't want to disturb that. But wait until the bridal week is over. Then we'll give you Rachel too. Fine print. What does it say? Provided... You promised to work another seven years for me. Don't you love Laban? <laughs> He's pretty shrewd, huh? pretty cunning. And so does he agree to it? I mean, how much does he love her? 14 years worth? Let's find out. Genesis 29, 28 to 30. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years 
a week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. Laban gave Rachel a servant, Bilhah, to be her maid. What is that called again? A wedding gift from the father. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah. He then stayed and worked for Laban the additional seven years. Happily ever after? What do you think? If you're a man and you have two women who are, two, who are sisters and you love one way more than the other, what do you think is going to happen? There's going to be conflict, right? I mean, put yourself in the shoes of Leah. How would you feel? How would you feel? Sisters over here, how would you feel if your husband had two wives? You were just one of the two. Probably not too good, right? It was never God's plan. God knows what's the right thing to do. It was customary during that time. In, in this culture, you can have more than one wife. And so here's Jacob. He asked two, but the problem is he plays favoritism. When you play favorites, what happens? Good or bad? Pretty bad, right? You're going to have conflict there. And so he loved Leah a lot more. Leah feels really really bad and so what happens next genesis 29 31 when the lord saw that leah was unloved he enabled her to have children but rachel could not conceive always remember brothers and sisters in the faith when you are unloved you have a you have a, a nice spot in god's heart right god looks for those who feel unloved god has a soft spot for those who are unloved. And so God notices that Leah was unloved. And so what does he do? He enabled her to have children. And Rachel could not conceive. And so when Leah was able to have children, who was born? Let's read. Genesis 29 verse 32. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, The Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. Remember, the purpose of Jacob in going to Haran to look for a wife was to fulfill the promise of God that through him and whoever the wife would be, they're going to create a nation, right? A nation from which the whole world will be blessed to fulfill the promise of our almighty God. So they had to have sons. Finally, a son was born. What's his name? Reuben. Who gets to decide the name? It was the woman, right? Leah names her what? Na na names him what? Reuben, the Lord has noticed my misery. So he has one son. How many sons belong to Jacob to represent the people of Israel? How many? Twelve. Who's number two? Genesis 29, 30, 33. She soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon. For she said, the Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me another son. So number two was Simeon. Who's number three? Uh, verse 34. Then she became pregnant the third time and gave birth to another son. She named him Levi. For she said, surely this time my husband will feel affection for me. Since I have given him three sons. So far so good? Yeah, three sons. You got Levi now. You got... Um, who are Reuben, you got Simeon, you got Levi. I wonder who's next. Verse 35. Once again, Leah, Leah became pregnant, gave birth to another son. She named him Judah. For she said, now I will praise the Lord. And then she stopped having 
children. For some reason, after number four, the barren got closed, or the I mean the uh, the womb got gets barren or gets closed up. He doesn't have any more kids. So while this was happening, I wonder how. What's the other one's name? Rachel. I wonder how she's feeling. Maybe a little jealous, right? Let's find out. Genesis 30 verse 1. When Rachel saw that she wasn't having any children for Jacob, she became jealous of her sister. She pleaded with Jacob, give me children or I'll die. That's a big problem. Now Rachel's upset. And how does uh, Jacob feel about that? Genesis uh, 30 and the verses 2. Then Jacob became furious with Rachel. Am I God? He asked, he's the one who has kept you from having children. Don't blame me, is what Jacob is basically telling her. It's not within my control. That's God's plan. God is the only one that can give you a womb that can accept a child. And so this is a problem. And so what does Rachel suggest? Next slide. Genesis 33 down to 4. And Rachel told him, take my maid, Bilhah, and sleep with her. She will bear children for me. And through her, I can have a family too. So Rachel gave her servant Bilhah to Jacob as a wife, and he slept with her. Just like Sarah and Hagar, right? You see, back then, it was... According to customs, according to the ways of the land, if you had a servant and you can get pregnant, you can offer your servant to your husband and he will be the one to produce children for you. And so when the child comes out, who, to whom does the child belong to? Not the servant, but to the one who owns the servant, so to speak. And so whatever happens here, the child is going to belong to who? Rachel. And so what happens when Jacob and Bilhah get together? Genesis 35 down to 6. Bilhah became pregnant, presented him with a son. Rachel named him Dan. For she said, God has vindicated me. He has heard my request and, give, and given me a son. So there was a son. What was the name? Dan. Turns out if you read later on, Dan would set up a temple for idol worshippers. <laughs> yeah, not not good idea, huh? Who comes next? Uh, Genesis 37-8, then Bilhah became pregnant again and gave Jacob a second son. Rachel named him Naphtali, for she said, I have struggled hard with my sister and I'm winning. There's a competition among sisters because there was favoritism that was being played. Remember, remove favoritism from the household. It's only going to create conflict and competition that's not suited for growing a family according to the will of our Almighty God. And so, all this while, what was Leah feeling? Now, Genesis 30 verse 9, meanwhile, by the way, how many sons does he have so far? Four plus two, that's six. How many more to go? Six more, right? 30 verse 9, meanwhile, Leah, is it Leah or Leah? Leah realized that she wasn't getting pregnant anymore. Copycats. <laughs> so she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as wife. And so Zilpah, 
food that she produced, Genesis 30, 10 to 11, soon Zilpha presented him with a son. Leah named him Gad, for she said, how fortunate I am. What was the son's name? Gad. This is not Almighty Gad, okay? Because sometimes people, I've heard Almighty Gad before. Almighty God. This is just Gad, okay? Gad. Who else? Next slide. Genesis 30, 12 down to 13. And Zilpah gave Jacob a second son. And Leah named him Asher, for she said, what joy is mine? Now the other women will celebrate with me. And so Zilpah gave, gives Jacob a second son. His name is Asher. And all of a sudden, that's it. They stop reproducing. One day, what happens? Genesis 30 verse 14. One day, during the wheat harvest, Reuben found some mandrakes. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you know what a mandrake is. <laughs> what is a mandrake? <laughs> All right, so one day during the wheat harvest, Reuben, who, who's the mother of Reuben? Yeah. yeah. Okay, Reuben found some mandrakes growing in the field and brought them to his mother, Leah. Rachel notices about the mandrakes. And when she saw the mandrakes, Rachel becomes very interested. And so what does Rachel do? Rachel begged Leah. Please, give me some of your son's mandrakes. She really wanted them bad. Rachel wanted them bad, right? You know what mandrakes are? What are mandrakes? Next slide. From the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary. A mandrake is a small perennial plant native to the Middle East. Although not grown for food, its roots and berries are edible. The ancient Near East viewed it as an aphrodisiac and... Fertility drug. It is often called love apple or devil's apple. Right? So here's Rachel. You have to understand her plight. She wants to have children of her own. Not through a servant, but through her own. Perhaps she's been praying to God. God's not answering her prayers. So what does she do? She turns to the mandrakes. Right? What's a mandrake? It's an aphrodisiac, a fertility drug. Does it work? It's probably just superstition. Right? How does it, I mean, how do mandrakes look like? Next slide. That's what they look like, mandrakes. Yeah. Looks kind of creepy, doesn't it? <laughs> Just in case you want some mandrakes, you can go to the next slide. You can go to Amazon for $5.97. You have grounded mandrakes, an aphrodisiac, and a fertility drug. Right, so this is what Rachel uses, or this is what Rachel wants. Take note, who has the mandrakes? Leah has the mandrakes. And Rachel's begging for the mandrakes, but Leah, what does she say? Next slide, Genesis 30, verse 15. But Leah angrily replied, wasn't it enough that you stole my husband? Because at this point, Rachel is telling Leah, you cannot sleep with my husband anymore. Okay? And so when Rachel asks for the mandrakes, Leah, Leah angrily replied, wasn't it enough that you stole my husband? Now will you steal my son's mandrakes? And Rachel answered, I will let Jacob sleep with you tonight if you give me some of the mandrakes. <laughs> she, she, really wants to, she really wants those mandrakes, right? And so, I will, so they make a deal. And so Rachel will let uh, Leah, Leah sleep with Jacob for tonight or in exchange for some of the mandrakes. And so that night, what does Leah tell Jacob? Good news, Genesis 30, verse 16. So that evening, as Jacob was coming home from the fields, Leah 
went out to meet him with a smile on her face. You must come and sleep with me tonight, she said. I have paid for you with some mandrakes that my, my son found. That night, he slept with Leah. And so, while Leah was with Jacob, I believe she offers up a prayer because she wants more kids, right? Because more kids means more leverage, right? So she's probably praying to God. And what does God say? Genesis 30, 17, 18. And God answered Leah's prayers. She became pregnant again and gave birth to a fifth son for Jacob. In actuality, this would be number seven, right? She named him Issachar, for she said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband as a wife. She doesn't stop there. Next slide. 30, 30 19, and 20. Then Leah became pregnant again and gave birth to a sixth son for Jacob. She named him Zabulon, for she said, God has given me a good reward. Now my husband will treat me with respect, for I have given him six sons. But it doesn't stop there. There's a break in the pattern in verse 21. What is that? Genesis 30, verse 21. Later, she gave birth to a, a daughter. Did you know that? They had a daughter. What's her name? Dinah or Dina. Dina, Dina, tomato, tomato, Dina. Right? And something bad's going to happen to Dina. We're not going to talk about it today, later on. But unfortunately, there's Dina, okay? She would not really factor into God's plan when it comes to building a nation because what he needed was men, right? 12 tribes of Israel. And so after Dina was born, Rachel is probably feeling miserable. The mandrakes are not working, right? So Rachel is feeling really bad, really sad. And it's one thing about God when he sees his people feeling really down, he notices that. You notice that? God notices that. And so what does God do? Genesis 30, 22, 24. Then God remembered Rachel's plight and at last answered her prayers. prayers by enabling her to have children. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. God has removed my disgrace, she said. And she named him Joseph, for she said, May the Lord add yet another son to my family. Do you know all about Joseph? Yeah, glad you know about Joseph. So Joseph was born. This is Rachel's own flesh and blood. This is the first one. And so this is son number 11. There's got to be one more son, right? But the next son doesn't get born until later. So we're going to have to jump. We're Genesis 30. We're just going to go jump. Is that okay? We want to get the next son. We're going to jump to Genesis 35, 16 to 20. Leaving Bethel. So we're coming from Bethel. Jacob and his clan moved on toward Ephrath. But Rachel went into labor while they were still some distance away. Her labor pains were intense. After a very hard delivery, the midwife finally exclaimed, Don't be afraid, you have another son. Rachel was about to die, but with her last breath, she named the baby Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. The baby's father, however, changed the name. Called him what? Benjamin. Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Jacob set up a stone monument over Rachel's grave and it can be seen there to this 
day. Pretty sad, right? Because Jacob really loved Rachel. And Rachel would die giving birth to Benjamin, which would be the youngest of the sons, the youngest of the children. So they were coming from Bethel, going south towards where? Bethlehem, called Ephrath. So it's a, a journey of uh, several miles. And on the way to Ephrath, she begins to go into labor. She gives birth. In the process of giving birth, she dies. And she, he buries her there, the place where she died. And he builds a stone monument. And I like it when the Bible says it can be seen there to this day. Don't you like that? You know why? Because we can go to Israel and look for that place. We want to look for this place. The, uh, the tomb, the gravesite, the, the stone monument of uh, for Rachel. It was dedicated for Rachel. So where, where could that place possibly be? There are two sites that make the claim. That make the claim that that's the site where the stone monument is found. Next slide. So here's Jerusalem right there in the middle. North of it, you see Ramah. You see it? To the south, you see what? Bethlehem. Where are they coming from? Bethel. Do you see Bethel? Up north. So from Bethel, they're going to Bethlehem. And on the way to Bethlehem, Rachel dies. And so there is Rachel's tourist tomb. When you go to Israel and you're a tourist, they most likely uh, someone giving a tour will take you to that place right there and say that's the monument. However, is it really the place where the tomb is at? We have to dig deeper. Let's read next slide. Genesis 48 verse 7. Now as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan on the journey. When there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. What's Ephrath again? Bethlehem. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So she doesn't die at Bethlehem. There was still a distance between where she died and Bethlehem. So where could that be? We get a clue in the book of 1 Samuel 10 verse 2. When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb. Where at? At Zelza in the territory of Benjamin. Verse 5. Then you will go to the hill of God in Gibeah. And so the Bible gives us clues as to the whereabouts of Rachel's tomb. It tells us it's in Zelza, which is actually north of Bethlehem, and it's right by Gibeah, or Giba. And so where is that on the map? Next slide. If you look at Ramah, Giba, it's right there in Ramah. This is why that's the location of the other spot for Rachel's tomb. And if you go there in Ramah, guess what you'll find? Next slide. Yep, you'll find the stone monuments, the actual stone monuments of Rachel's tomb. Next slide. In Ramah, this is what you find. Five 3 by 15 meter stone grave monuments dating to 2000 BC, which corresponds to the date or the time frame of Jacob and Rachel. You want to go there? We have to go there too. We want to check out uh, the tomb of Rachel, which makes you wonder, right? Why wasn't Rachel 
buried where? Where? Machpelah. I don't know. <laughs> Bible doesn't say. But Leah, after she dies, where does she get buried? Next slide. Genesis 49, 29, 32. Then Jacob commanded his sons, now that I'm going to join my people in death, bury me with my fathers in the cave. It is in the field of Ephron the Hittite at Machpelah, east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan. Abraham bought this cave and field from Ephron for a burial ground. That is where they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah. That is where they buried Isaac and his wife Rebekah. And that is where I buried who? Leah. The field and the cave in it were brought from the, by, from the Hittites. Bury me there. So Jacob requests that he gets buried with Leah. Where? In the cave of Machpelah. Not with Rachel. Why? I have no idea. Maybe there's something deeper going on. Maybe. Right? Maybe there's something Rachel cannot get rid of quite yet. We'll find that out next time, okay? Not today, but we'll go deeper next time. But we know that uh, Leah was buried in the cave of Machpelah together with the patriarchs, and Rachel was buried along the side of the road, <laughs> which is kind of weird. Um, but I, want you, I was trying to create a profile for the two sisters, Rachel and Leah, and I think we can kind of make out a pretty good profile by looking at the way they give names to their kids. Next slide, please. These are the 12 sons, right? And each of the, uh, the sisters gave names to their sons, even if the one who actually gave birth was a servant. Leah or Ray, uh, Rachel or Leah were the ones who gave the names. I want you to notice the names that Leah chose and the names that Rachel chose. You notice the difference? Next slide. Look at the highlighted ones and the non-highlighted ones. Look at, look at Leah's names for the kids. See, see a son, the Lord who hears, attached, I will praise the Lord, good fortune, joy. God has rewarded me. God has honored me. What do you notice about uh, Leah's choice of names? It's, yeah? A happy tone? Positive? Right? I mean, Leah may not have been beautiful on the outside. But perhaps on the inside, she was really happy because she was connected to who? God. You notice how often he used God? God has rewarded me. God has honored me. I will praise the Lord, the Lord who hears. You notice that? And so in the naming scheme of Leah, it's positive, full of energy. And it's in reference always to who? Our almighty God. You notice, Rachel? <laughs> Look at the meaning of the names. He was vindicated. What else? My struggle. What else? May he add son of my sorrow. You notice that? The names that she chose? Not really indicative of something positive, but it's like a sad tone, right? She may be pretty and beautiful on the outside, but inside she's miserable. You know, a lot of people are like that. A lot of people are like Leah's, and a lot of people are like Rachel's. If you had a choice, what would you rather be? Beautiful on the outside, but miserable on the inside? Or so-so on the outside, but really jubilant on the inside? What would you want? <laughs> oh, my goodness. A lot of people today 
sacrifice what's on the inside to make them look good on the outside. It's called Botox, right? How many people who have Botox are really miserable on the inside? There's so many, right? You notice that Leah, for some, she was full of life, even though she had weak eyes that have no sparkle, okay? But God loved them both. I believe that. You know why? Next slide, Genesis 29, 31. The Lord saw that Leah was unloved. What did he do? Enabled her to have children. God remembered Rachel's plight and answered her prayer. So God loves both of them, right? And God caused them to have children of their own. So what principle do we need to understand here? Genesis, uh, next slide, please. God sees our tears, hears our cries, and provides what we need. We see that theme and pattern throughout the scriptures again and again and again. So next time you feel tears coming down in your eyes, next time you are desperate and you cry out in pain, go to God because he will provide for your needs. He never fails. And so God gives both of them a child of their own, right? Who are, these, who are some of the notable ones? Next slide, please. Leah gave birth to who? Judah. Judah. Rachel gives birth to who? Just, we all know about Joseph, right? How he would be the father of Israel. Israel. We also know about Judah. How he would be known for the nation of Judah. Remember in the future, there's going to be two houses in Israel. Israel and Judah. Israel, that will come from Joseph's line. Judah. What is significance of Judah? Let's read. In the book of Matthew 1, 1 to 2, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Who gets to make it in the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah? Not Joseph or, or anyone else, but who? Jake, Judah. This may be the reason why Jacob and Leah are in the cave of Machpelah. Okay? So the chosen one that will be a link to the Lord Jesus Christ would be Jacob and who? <coughs> Judah. Of the twelve, Judah is the one from which the Lord Jesus Christ will come forth. This is why Judah is also an important figure in the Holy scriptures however joseph also plays an important role right joseph and judah they're both important in the eyes of the holy scriptures now how about jacob in all of this because jacob is going to be a link he's the patriarch when jacob left his homeland to go to haran to look for someone to marry he wasn't all too much like a faithful person right he deceived he did not practice God's will. However, God is not finished with him. God is working through him, and God wants to change him. So what did uh, Jacob experience and learn? Next slide, please. There are three things. God is not yet finished with Jacob, and God is shaping him. So what happens to Jacob? What does he learn and experience? Number one, next slide. He was deceived, right? And he learns to be more mature. So he's, there's a maturing process. And so he was deceived. Now he worked for Laban, right? What else? Next slide. Experience working outdoors. Remember, he was an indoor person. Who was the outdoor person? Esau. Esau. 
Now God says, no, nope, you're going to be an outdoor guy now, <laughs> right? So he works outdoors, and he learns to be a shepherd, and to be a shepherd was not an easy job. That was hard work. So he learns to be a diligent worker. What else does he learn? Number three, experience having to work for Laban for 20 years. And through that, he learned patience. And so God was working through him. Right? Yes, Jacob committed sins. Yes, he made mistakes. God forgave him, but he has to reap what he sowed. This is why we have problems. All of us here, none of us are perfect, right? We all make mistakes. How many here made mistakes yesterday? Nobody here? Because if you made a mistake yesterday, you sowed something. Maybe next week, maybe next month, you might reap what you sow. If you sow enough of it, you're going to reap it eventually, right? Doesn't matter. It doesn't mean you're going to reap it next week. It could be next generation. <laughs> you just never know with, with, with these, uh, the, the, the dynamic of sowing and reaping. But you're going to reap what you sow. However, in God's hands, what does he do with that? Let's read uh, Romans 5, 3 down to 4. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. You know, when we, have, when we have problems, most of the time, you can trace the problem to some kind of sin that we committed. If we say we have no sin, we have no problems of that kind, well, it could be a trial. Whatever it may be, a problem because of a trial, a problem because of the repercussions of our sins, God can use that to shape our character, to strengthen our character and develop our endurance. And so if we are placed in that position, if we are being tested by God, if we are being refined by God, what should we do? James 1, 3 down to 4, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And so brethren, if you're facing any kind of problem, any kind of trial, let God shape your character. Let God perfect and complete you through the problems and trials that you go through. Okay? Now, before we go ahead and finish, I was going to share with you a prophecy of Scripture. Is that okay? How many here are familiar with the multiple fulfillment of prophecy? Right? Because prophecies in Scripture... They're more like patterns that are repeated over and over again, like the prophecy in Isaiah. For example, in our next worship service, we're going to talk about that. Our worship service on Sunday, we're going to talk about the repetition of pattern, repetition of prophecy. I'm going to show you a prophecy that has many fulfillments. Okay? The book of Jeremiah, 31, verse 15. This is what the Lord says. A cry is heard in Ramah, deep anguish and bitter weeping. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for her children are gone. Did this really happen? Did, did Rachel weep for a child? Yeah, right? I mean, where did she wept for, who was the one who was born and then she died? Benjamin, Benjamin right? He wept. But she died in the process. Perhaps that could, be, that could have been the first one. Where did she die? Most likely in Ramah. 
A cry is heard in Ramah, deep anguish and bitter weeping. Rachel weeps for her children. This prophecy is actually pointing to a, an event that Jeremiah wrote about, right, this prophecy, but it's pointing to an event that already took place. You have to keep in mind, next slide, that she died right there by Ramah, near Bethlehem. You see, Ramah and Bethlehem, that's about 10 miles away. Not too far, right? Pretty close. 10 miles away, okay? Or seven, uh, 17 kilometers away, approximately. 10 miles. And so, Ramah is where the crying is heard because Rachel is weeping for her children. Take note, who are the children of Rachel? Let's go to the next slide. Ramah was a town five miles north of Jerusalem. Rachel was, uh, and Rachel was Joseph and Benjamin's mother, right? Rachel is the mother of two major children, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph was the father of Ephraim and Manasseh, who became the two major tribes in the northern kingdom of Israel. Thus, Jeremiah was picturing the weeping of the women in the northern kingdom as they watched their children being carried into exile in 722 BC. So the prophecy was a description of what happened when the Assyrians conquered the northern tribe, the people of Israel. Israel is also called Ephraim. Ephraim is from who? Joseph the son of Rachel. And so Rachel was weeping for the people of Israel because the children were being taken to exile in 722 BC. That's one. How else was that fulfilled? Next slide. Jeremiah chapter 40 verse 1. The Lord gave a message to Jeremiah after Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had released him at Ramah. He had found Jeremiah bound in chains among all the other captives of Jerusalem and Judah who were being sent to exile in Babylon. After Israel was conquered by the Assyrians, there was left standing the people of Judah, right? Judah and Ephraim. Judah and Israel. Judah, this time, gets defeated by who? The Babylonians. Guess where they take the people who have been captured to be sent off to Babylon for exile? Where do they take them? What does it say? Ramah! And so that also is being fulfilled because in Ramah, the people, the mothers, who have their, their children, their sons, being taken to exile in Jerusalem or in uh, Babylon, are also weeping. Another fulfillment. So one in 722 BC, 529 BC, and there's another fulfillment in the Christian era. What is that? Next slide. Matthew chapter 2, 16 to 18. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in 
Rama, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. And so the pattern had its final and more complete fulfillment where? In Bethlehem. When? When Herod decided to kill all of the children who were two years old and below. Why? Because what did Herod want? He wanted to kill who? Christ. Christ was born where? Bethlehem. That's where they were off to, right? Rachel and Jacob were off to Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, Jesus was born. And in Bethlehem or in that area, there was the sound of weeping. A pattern was repeating itself three times. It repeated itself. Here is the more final complete fulfillment when the children died because of Jesus, because of the Messiah, right? Which suggests something very deep, brothers and sisters. What is that? Next slide. Next slide again, Genesis 35. If you remember in Ramah, when Benjamin was born, what was the original name given by the mother? It says there, Ben-Oni, son of my sorrow. But here's Benjamin, I mean, here's uh, Jacob. What does he do with the name? Change it. To what? What does he change it to? Son of my right hand. From son of my sorrow to son of my right hand, I don't know about you. What do you see there? What do you see there? Huh? Do you see something there? Do you know who, according to prophecy, according to scripture, is called the man of sorrow? Next slide. Isaiah 53 verse 3. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Who was that in, refer, in reference to? Our Lord Jesus Christ. He was called the man of sorrow. But God changed that sorrow. When Christ was sacrificed on the cross, when he paid for the sins of mankind, what did Christ do? Next slide. Hebrews 10 verse 12, But Christ gave himself to God for our sins, as one sacrifice for all time, and then sat down in the place of highest honor at God's right hand. So what do you think? Was there a purpose? Maybe, ben, maybe Jacob did not realize it at that time. God behind the scenes was controlling everything. He changes the name because God is trying to communicate something to us. Yes, we, we may be able to identify with the man of sorrows. But God will fix that. So that very same man of sorrows will become a man, a son of man, who will sit at the right hand of God. The very instrument that caused the death of the Son of God becomes the instrument that will bring us what? Our salvation. Isn't that beautiful? This is why the beautiful thing about having God as our God is, next slide, and this is the final passage of our studies, sing praise to the Lord, all His faithful people, Remember what the Holy One has done and give Him thanks. 
His anger lasts only a moment. His goodness for a lifetime. Tears may flow in the night, but joy, joy comes in the morning. If you read the Holy Scriptures again and again, you'll find that pattern. Pattern of people who go to God with tears of sadness, but they leave with tears of joy. And one day, we will go to God, and He will give us joy that no one can ever take away when Christ comes back. Because that man of sorrow has become the man who sat at the right hand of God to give us joy in life everlasting. No one can take away ever again. And so God is working through us. He worked through history, behind the scenes, orchestrating everything, arranging everything in your life, in your life. God arranged everything. So you are here where you are now because of God's mercy and compassion. That's why, brothers and sisters, if ever you feel sad, if ever you're overwhelmed by sorrow, let God change that. How, you, how do you do that? By giving thanks and singing praise to God. Something happens when you go to God with your tears and burdens and you praise Him nonetheless. When you go to God and say to God, Lord, I'm carrying these problems in my life, but even then, I praise You. I thank You. When you do that, God will embrace you and you will feel that peace. You will feel that joy and you will be able to say, praises be to my almighty God. The Holy Scriptures is so full of meaning because it wants to communicate to us the transforming power of God, how He can transform your situation, no matter how bleak it may be, and make it into something beautiful. That's the power of our God. Trust Him. Praise Him. Give thanks to Him every day in your life because He can be counted on. Okay? That is our lesson. Let us all stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting and most holy Father, yes, Father. indeed, we can see the work of Your mighty hands, yes. how You have arranged the events of our life. Yes. So that we are here now, recipients of your grace. Amen. Thank you for choosing us. Yes. Thank you for your grace. How we wish, how we wish we can be worthy of you. But we know as human beings, even at our best selves, we are going to come up short of your standards. We rely on your mercy. We rely on your compassion as you have shown in the past how forgiving and merciful you are. Father, please be merciful upon your people today. Yes. Grant us grace that we need that we can go on until the end worshiping your holy name. Amen. Father, we may have problems, but we praise you nonetheless. Yes. We may cry tears of sorrow. But we thank you nonetheless yes. because we believe, Father, in the end, everything you're going to transform and we shall receive the life everlasting that you have promised. Amen. Teach us to endure, Father. Yes. In our endurance, work in our life yes. that we can be strong in our character, worthy to be called your sons and daughters. Amen. Father, remember your people throughout the world. Yes. Those who need your help, help them. 
you are our God who sees, God who hears, and also God who provides for all of our needs. We have faith in you. Give us you what we need, oh God. We will forever praise and thank you, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much. You are our Savior. You are also our Chief Shepherd. Remember your sheep who are still here on earth. May you strengthen each one of us that we will recognize your voice and follow you until the end. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.